0: Welcome to the latest episode of Tech to Transform, the Mantis podcast. In this episode, head of Mantis, Eleanor Willock, chats to Darren Caveney from Comms 2.0, a shared learning space created by and written for creative communications professionals. After 12 years as an award winning director and head of Comms, Darren launched a specialist communications consultancy, which has since supported over 150 organisations across the UK. Darren discusses his career challenges and achievements and the unique pressures on public sector comms professionals today and how we can address them. Take a listen. Hello and welcome to the next Tech to Transform podcast. My name is Eleanor Willock and I'm here today with Darren Caveney. Darren is um, the owner and creator of Comms 2.0. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Perhaps let's start off by um, giving listeners a bit of a background on you and Comms
1: 2.0. Hi, Eleanor. Yeah, and thanks very much for the invites. Nice Nice to uh, nice to have a chat over Zoom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give you the short version, not the full LinkedIn CV, because that'd be really boring for people, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, I've worked in communications, PR and marketing there for 26 years, so been around for a long time. I did a PR degree back in the day up at Leeds, with the famous Anne Gregory, who's kind of like PR royalty now, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very lucky with that. And then, yeah, kind of first gig was, my first gig was the Euro 96 football tournament. So that's how old I am. Wow. And then kind of did some work agency sides, utility sides, and then found myself as a head of comms in local government and, and absolutely loved it. And I did that for 10 years. I was the director of comms in the NHS for a couple of years. 10 years ago, set up comms 2.0 as a kind of, an online learning platform, I suppose you'd call it, but with a big community that grew off the back of it. Yeah, and it was all about kind of sharing good practice because in the public sector, which is kind of where I've ended up almost solely working these days, um, we can share, we can share and learn from one another. So that's that's why that was set up. And then, you know, um, perhaps uh, the cliche there. I became a consultant, so I set up my own consultancy seven years ago. Next month, so. Yeah. Touch wood, that's gone well. The house hasn't been repossessed. I'm not sleeping in the car. Um, work work has gone well. And despite COVID and a couple of years of that, yeah, still here and and, and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things in and around, mostly public sector comms, a little bit of uh, just done a big comms review with a utility actually, which is really interesting. But broadly 90-95% of my work is public sector consultancy, training, mentoring. Etc. etc.
0: Thank you. Um, I remember coming to the Un Awards maybe the second time you held it. Um, it was in um, I used to live in Birmingham before we moved down here, yeah. and it was in um, a very fancy cinema right in in the center of town. Yeah. I've forgotten the name of it. Is it do you still ha- hold it there?
1: Yes, and in fact, it's happening again this year. So, uh, yeah, it's the Everyman Cinema in the Mall. That's right. Lovely. And um, yeah, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? We run it each December. We've missed a couple of years because of you know what, but it's back this year. So it'll be the seventh annual awards. And it's, it's kind of like where well, you've been, so you know, but it's kind of like an annual Christmas party to yeah. celebrate all the brilliant things that everybody in industry does. And people said, oh, you can't do something in December, but actually nothing happens in December other than Christmas. It's actually a really good month to do things. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. So that will open for entries in, in September. So, yeah, that will be back and looking forward to it. Well, one of the
0: things that uh, I, well, what one of the things that I thought when I came to the awards was uh, it was so obvious that the public sector comms community is so close. It's such a, it's such a, um, a family of cross-sharing, cross-information. Loads of people seem to be seeing each other um, for the first time in a long time. It was a very friendly, collegiate atmosphere. And that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today, because um, for anybody new to the podcast, Mantis, uh, our agency, is a, um, a division of Rudafin, but we are their public sector tech division. So all our clients are technology companies that service the public sector. So for the last 15 years, we've been working with um, colleagues in the um, public sector comms arena to get our stories out there. So take vendor stories out f- um, via the um, the customers themselves. So um, it's always been um, a source of knowledge uh, for us Um to come well, Comms 2.0 has always been a source of knowledge for me personally. Um, you have fantastic blog posts. I've always enjoyed your podcast. And um there's always really uh, fan- fascinating information for uh people in my sector to learn more about um my colleagues who are inside the public sector. So I thought if we talk today, we could perhaps um help uh listeners to do the same, to understand the same.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Sounds a good plan.
0: Fab. So, what or who is your average comms, point, um, comms 2.0 listener and reader?
1: That's a really good question. I should know all of this off pat, shouldn't I? Um, I am a sad man, so I do study all the analytics and have of a look. Of course yeah it is predominantly public sector comms people so anybody from central government local government nhs universities housing charities um i was just thinking just yesterday i, I, I ran a workshop how, how to now tiktok uh, and that was brilliant wow. was the first in person workshop i've done since you know what happened and well, I used to do them every month before, and and it was interesting because it was really a case of testing the water to see what the appetite was for people to get back to in-person <laughs> events rather than you know using Zoom and Teams etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was a slight experiment, but but it was good, and people turned up, so that so that was good. Um, and just thinking about the people that were there yesterday, we had everything from kind of national charities through to we had police forces, we had NHS, we had local governments, we had we had actually a couple of small business owners at the kind of private sector that okay. wanted to come along as well. So yeah, so my, my audience is really mixed, um, but it's predominantly public sector commerce people, I would say.
0: You um, described your career path um, really in quite big detail. At what point in people's careers, do PR professionals and comms professionals normally join the public sector? Because um, I, I've always worked for an agency side. I've got colleagues that have worked in-house and, and I've got wider colleagues who've worked in charities, third sector and the public sector. I mean, you know, there's, the current jobs market is uh, completely different to anything we've probably already seen. But um, how do people end up in public sector comms?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, as I say, I mean, I started private sector and I was working in a marketing role, actually, in a utility, and I saw a marketing job with a local council and I thought, well, that looks interesting. Um, so that was kind of my, my route in. I, th- I think they're very varied. I mean, there's a brilliant example yesterday on this TikTok workshop we were running and um, there was somebody from an NHS trust uh, in, in the Midlands was there. And her background was... Um, She was a nurse. She'd previously been a nurse. And Mm -hmm. had found her way into communications. And I said, you must blog about this because it's fascinating as a career switch. What about nursing kind of prepares you and helps you in now a communications role, Um, which I thought would be fascinating. Um, So so I'll, I'll probably nag her to write a blog post for the website. I
0: think you should. I can't imagine suddenly training to become a nurse.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: the others which you know
1: absolutely yeah i i I wouldn't be able to do it um so so i think i think it's varied isn't it i mean we've got we had some really young people on the course yesterday who are kind of fairly fresh into the role you know their early 20s they've come straight in from university into comms roles in the public sector so i think there's 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 lots of different routes in i used to do some talks actually for a couple of unis to encourage you know comms PR marketing graduates to consider the public sector as a as, as an opportunity and, and to be honest most of them hadn't in those you know some of those early conversations but you think about something like local government it's it's the most varied comms role i've I've ever had also right. the hardest as well it was it? so much harder than my private sector jobs mm-hmm. um, for all sorts of reasons but yeah I, I think lots of very very varied uh paths in i think you know there are teams out there that have got staff that have been around for a long time and and that's a good thing because the experience is invaluable you know that kind of corporate memory that remembers all the stuff that happened 10 years ago that can be really really important um but equally you know there, there was you know i was working with a couple of councils uh the last couple of months and they've got really young they've got young apprentices in comms role they've got young people who are done a bit of private sector and that have moved into public okay so i think the age demographics really varied it varies from team to team to be honest but i think you know on the whole we would want to encourage more and more young people in into the public sector you know because you you look at something like tiktok and not to do that cliche jump into well it's something that young people can be good at not yeah of course because they've grown up with the tech but I think we do generally need as many you know, young, talented minds you know, from really diverse backgrounds in the public sector doing community yeah. as possible. So, yeah, it's, I probably haven't answered your question at all, have I? But
0: No, I think uh, you have. I mean, really what, what I'm interested in is the, in terms of attracting talent, attracting uh, talent into technology public relations isn't the easiest. If you come from university, then there are other sectors that you might gravitate to first. Um, but what I'm thinking about is, in terms of making better communication and collaboration between our two areas. Yes. How many people in a com- typical comms role, say in local government or an NHS trust, for example, are uh, understand technology or understand the technology that drives their local council or their or the, the NHS trust? So, um, what kind of background might they have on um, how the technology in their hospital works or the digital transformation that their local government is going through?
1: Yeah. Again, I think, to be honest, it it almost varies by team. I mean, I can think of teams that, you know, have jumped on tech really early and have done some brilliant things, you know, with web and digital uh, and email and social media um you know others have been slower to adopt to things it, i think often it can be the culture of the organization can't it you know so yes mm. again uh, at this tiktok workshop you know there was a lot of if you're in the room you're quite keen to use tiktok in the public sector with your organization quite yeah keen. of
0: course or you're yeah. or you're trying to prove that you need to
1: yeah and and some of the barriers that were floated were well i'm not sure my chief exec or leadership team will want us to do this you know, to, to which my argument is always because it's easy for me to say this, but I used to do this when I was in the house. We'll do it anyway, because the chances of them seeing it on TikTok are so remote. And if it goes badly, you can keep quiet. And if it goes brilliantly, you can cry about it and tell everybody. Um, but so I think it, it will vary by team to team. I think, you know, quite often, you know, <laughs> transformation around web's been happening in the public sector for you know a decade plus now, hasn't it? So There are some quite skilled people in teams. I think the number one problem, which will probably cut across maybe lots of your questions today, is that public sector comms teams are so stretched and under so much pressure that often there's not the time. So, you know, I can think of times uh, teams that have bought technology in, whether it be an email marketing platform or a social media management platform, and they're not able to use the full functionality of those platforms because they're so stretched and they're play spinning with 50 other things. Yeah. And then, yeah, 12 months on it. Well, are we making full use of that platform? Probably not. Do we continue the subscription? Maybe we don't. And that's a shame because I think teams need as much help and support with tech platforms like those as, as they mm-hmm. can. But I think, yeah, I think they are genuinely, some of them are stretched to the bone and kind of coming out of COVID that your average comms team is frazzled and they probably need a month off. <laughs> which obviously they can't have. But yeah. um, I think that has an impact on, not the appetite, because I think people want to embrace tech as much as possible. It's it's the answer to many, many, many of the, of the problems in public sector, isn't it? But, you know, whether it's budget, whether it's fear of change, whether it's appetite, whether it's, you know, those in senior roles just not seeing the importance of, using something like tiktok to engage with with a wider audience
0: what about um so our clients and tech companies who work with the public sector in general uh, would be hyper aware of a again let's take local let's take local government of a local government's digital transformation strategy i.e their um, their overall strategic plan to bring their services either online or um, make or join up health and social care, for example. Okay. So make, um, make social workers able to um, access the same um, same um, records as um, other people within the, um, the, the, the local government chain so that, you know, children are better safeguarded and people can get, to, get into the schools they want to, et cetera, et cetera. How much would the local gov comms team be aware of the borough's digital transformation strategy and their objectives with that? Because I think there may be a disconnect between how much we think that speaking about this externally is a priority. Yeah,
1: so it's a great question. And again, it does vary by organisation quite a lot. I think one of the issues is if you think about something like, if we're talking about councils, if you think about the council website, you would assume that that's owned and managed by the communications team. And it isn't always. Um, it's mostly in comms from kind of the research I've done. But very often it sits in IT or often in customer services. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a disconnect then between you know, the kind of corporate priorities of the transformation people and the corporate priorities in the comms plan that the comms team wants to deliver. And, you know, digital transformation will be in every council corporate plan, you know, and there's been some good work done on that already in terms of improving websites and digital accessibility, etc. Yeah. If you're not in charge of the website and somebody else is and they don't come and talk to you about something fairly major in terms of digital transformation... Um, you've got a problem, haven't you? And I think that happens quite regularly. I mean, one of the biggest gripes, I mean, I had this when I was in-house, you get called to too many meetings when you're in a comms team in the public sector. That's a given. Okay. Very yeah. often, the meetings that you should have been at, you didn't get an invite to, you know, digital transformation is one of them. They're often run by a project manager who might sit in IT or
0: yeah. in a, who,
1: a transformation team. Who, and
0: yeah, who, who is, is wedded.
1: Yeah, and how wedded are they and how... Um, Collaborative are they with the communication team? And again, it varies. There are some comms teams that are all over it. You know, the comms strategy supports digital transformation. It's it runs through the strategy, and it and and it and it works well. In others, it, it is disjointed. And I almost think it's a case by case basis to understand who's running all of that transformation stuff, how embedded comms are with it. But you've got comms teams, you know, pre COVID they've had 10 years of austerity and most comms teams and councils certainly were chopped and chopped some of them quite significantly.
0: Yeah.
1: And so they didn't have the capacity necessarily to also take on some of the transformation elements. So other people got on with that. So again, it's about how well the projects have been managed internally and kind of um, worked on across service areas. So probably haven't answered your question well again, but it's, it's really mixed. There's, there's examples I can think of people that have done it brilliantly there's probably other examples where it, it still needs to happen in a, in a better
0: way we certainly come across the same councils time and time again i did hear somebody call them the big 11 or something like that there right. are several councils that um are the most prolific innovators in in it um that uh come up as customer testimonies for a lot of clients again right. and again um so Um, You're a press officer for um, X local council and I've written a press release uh, for one of my clients and the headline is um, XYZ Council um, transforms access to social care records for um, using technology by XYZ. And then the press release follows and it's reasonably technical and it's written for the local government press rather than the tech trade press. And I found the right, you're the right person and I know I need to send it to you. I send it to you. How likely is it that you would have known about this project if I hadn't told you about it?
1: There's a chance I wouldn't have heard about it. There's, there's mm-hmm. a really good chance I wouldn't. Um, because I'm probably, if I'm a press officer and a decent sized council, I'm probably juggling issues in adult social care, with children's mm-hmm. services, with we've been collections that have gone wrong with mean mm-hmm. inquiries with silly FOIs from anonymous people asking questions to fill kind of websites with, with stuff that nobody wants to really read. Um, it could be big campaigns around, you know, net zero about climate change, about low emission zones, yeah. about, you know, low traffic neighborhoods. It could be big, you know, transformation projects to improve services. It's quite low down on the order of things, probably, isn't it? And I'm not saying that it should be, but if I'm a press officer at X Council, it's and I've got a to-do list that's probably got 40 things on it. If it is on there, it's not in the top 10, mm-hmm. sure. And I think then at that point, um, I've then got to go out and find out a little bit more about it, who internally knows about this. That might, you know, in some councils, that would be really clear. Oh, it will be Dave in IT. I'll go and speak to him. Not Dave. Um, Not might, Dave again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I use Dave as an example, just counting Um, and then, and then, you know, somewhere along the line, there'll be a portfolio holder, an elected member, who will want to be made aware of it, who might want to be quoted in it. It might be a project he's championing or she's championing, or it might be new to them as well and mm-hmm. so you've then got layers of sign off you know which again that can happen really quickly Covid proved that stuff can be turned around you know at lightning speed oh yeah but equally you know i've seen press releases knocking around for a week so a week yeah do
0: you want to know, want to know how long my my longest turnaround was go on then i won't i won't name the university but i went i i got pregnant um, and um, went on a year's maternity leave, and it still wasn't approved.
1: <laughs> um, and it did, yeah.
0: it did go out eventually. Really,
1: wow! Yep. Just had to change the date.
0: Yep. <laughs> I've changed the date by a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it it, it does happen. Um, that well, you see, that's that's a really it's not a fresh perspective it's what i expected you to say yeah. but it's about contextualizing that isn't it because yeah. you know not all not all clients can be microsoft obviously when microsoft gave the nhs lots of access to azure for um, during covid that was a big big story and a really positive story for the government and for the nhs because it enabled lots of people to work remotely and made a big big difference and that was part of their Plant that was on the communications plan to be able to communicate that, but yes. there are, I mean, must be, gosh, each public sector entity must work with a stack of vendors that could probably stretches into hundreds, I imagine, yes. and each one of them wants to talk about the work that they do with them. Yes, yes. Is there never anybody within the team who is a specialist at dealing with requests? to do with vendors wanting to talk about the work that they do with the public sector. And if not, I'm gonna ask why not? Because it's so common.
1: Yeah, it, it will probably be rare. And I'm saying that obviously I, do, I haven't worked with everybody, but I am, well, you know, I'm a very sad man. I did count up the other day how many local authorities I've directly worked for, mm-hmm. and it's just short of 80. So nice. it's a pretty nice. decent number um I would say that's very unusual I can think of a London borough though that has someone who has actually come from a tech company and is working a couple of days a week in the comms team to help them with just the exact thing you're talking about I'm going you know, to take a guess
0: thing. at either Camden or Hackney or Lambeth. it's
1: not it's actually not
0: is it not?
1: It's not. Right. Oh. Like, are they in the Big Eleven? Because I'm fascinated who the Big Eleven are. But well,
0: we'll have to take that offline, Darren. Yeah, we we'll have to take yeah. it offline, and yeah, I have don't, don't
1: answer that. <laughs> but, um, no, it's not either of those. But isn't it? yeah, so I think it's quite unusual. But it's it's, it's a good. It's a good shout, actually. And you know? and if a project's project's big enough, I mean, I always say you know, if there's a huge big transformation project comes in comms wants to be at the head of the table from day one and be shouting for five or 10% of the budget for that project to be given over to comms and marketing. So we might be able to bring someone in for six or 12 months that can support well, it. Yeah. So it's,
0: and, yeah. and I think it would, it would be really, um, I think that a lot, a lot of the, uh, the public sector comms people I come across um, and we work with do, get the tech, do understand the, um, you know, the, the business drivers for it, and a, a lot of the technical spec, in no way am I saying that that's not the case. But um, what I do think is that um, there's so much of the work delivered by government, by local government and central government is powered by technology firms, contractors and consultants, etc, yeah. etc, cetera, et cetera, that you only see you it's much more common especially in central gov to see the big vendors spoken about if they're going to be blamed for something that has gone wrong nice. it's just happened yes. it's just happened twice yes. Rishi Sunak has blamed whatever tech it was um, for not being able to pay out payments and um, I should have articulated that better. Um and and um whenever there is um a problem so uh, the the visa situation as well whenever there's a problem yeah it will be the technology usually referred to as mystical legacy technology yes that is automatically the fall guy for what happens and that that is super frustrating and I understand politically why it needs to happen. Because it's easy. But you know, my job is to make sure that the technology vendors have a fair shout in that battle. Because you don't want to find yourself on the front pages of the register or digital health as a as a failure named by government (laughs) for for supplying a technology. Yeah. And not having the right to reply the right yeah. to reply it, it's very often that um uh, the, the the tech company isn't consulted when those sorts of stories are put about but you know, that is a total side issue darren sorry no it's interesting
1: um, it's interesting i can yeah i can think of a few examples of, of, of seeing seen that over the past couple of years
0: yeah and sometimes you know sometimes the technology and the collaboration could be better but you know the national audit office review last year talked about collaboration between the teams and and the leadership and you know um i think there's just about to be yet another review isn't there of um the leadership at the top of um the top of the civil service and how better you know how these leadership qualities are going to make a difference tell me i once um i spoke to uh quite a while ago um a lady who you might know called louise thompson who used to be head of comms at um up in stafford um came to speak to my team about um what it's like to be an nhs comms person it was brilliant and um we talked about uh board seats for comms people where is that up to at the moment in 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 your opinion does comms have the the uh, presence it should do right at the top of the public sector
1: yeah, um, I would say generally yes, but again, it is a mixed mixed picture. Um, you know, there are there are organisations that have directors of comms, deputy directors, heads of comms, layers of comms. If you think about if you think about a London borough, and there's what thirty three London boroughs, there are teams with thirty odd in the communications team. There are teams with eight or nine. Yeah. and running similar sized authorities in terms of resident yeah. numbers, um, so it is a very mixed picture. Most, most, um, most have a head or, or a, a director of comms. Not all, you know. In, in smaller organisations, it might be limited to comms managers. So in terms of seniority, you know, NHS is all about bands, isn't it? So yeah. you, know, you would hope that you would hope there's a band nine director of comms in a big trust. Um, And I think quite often there is. Uh, I can think of people that I know doing that job. Um, In smaller organisations, it might be more like a band seven or band eight, a comms manager. So I'm getting really niche with bands there, aren't I? But You know know your bands? That's a good
0: quiz question. (laughs) Um,
1: And, you know, likewise in local government, you know, not everyone has a director of comms, but there's normally a head of comms as I say but what happened was with 10 years of austerity a lot of those a lot of those head of roles were just removed layer upon layer of middle to senior manager roles not just in comms were just stripped out of local government and mm-hmm. you know, in parts of the NHS as well COVID saw a kind of a spike in investment in comms so yeah. one good thing came out of COVID which um, everything else about it was terrible obviously but there was a reinvestment in comms. There was a recognition that I think in many organisations, cut comms just too far, you know, in, in order to be able to respond on a daily, almost hourly basis to, to COVID and, and what that meant for workforces and for citizens and patients and residents. Um, the team had to be well-resourced. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Team, the team saw a reinvestment back into comms, and, and a lot of that has stayed, which is good, we will obviously see what happens next over the next few years in terms of, you know, where public finances go with cost of living issues and... and
0: Well, you know what I'm thinking? Um, A lot of our clients are doing um, some brilliant work in um, the community democracy area and, um, you know, community social projects and and those areas. And what it's made me realise is that, local government has an incredible opportunity at the moment not just from a pr perspective but in terms of a a, a presence and community perspective of remaining or remaining the the kind of comms hero in the in, in the post covid situation because a lot of us feel so uh, nervous and let down by um, what's going on centrally and politically and obviously, I'm very keen to stress that I understand that central government departments are not politically motivated and, that you know, the government is the government. But um, I think that uh, in terms of that personal touch and that empathy, local government has such a massive opportunity now to really support communities where central departments aren't currently able to. Yes, and comms is going to play a huge part in that, as is community. you know, sort of more community democratic stuff.
1: Yes. I, I agree totally and if you know, cast your mind back to COVID. And I remember when when Rishi Sunak stood up and said he was going to put his arm around the whole country. So I thought, oh great, because I don't know how you were, but I, I think that, that infamous day on was it March the 20 something when you know Prime Minister Sturm said we're we're going into lockdown. I had three or four months of work lined up and it kind of just got cancelled in the next 48 hours. And um, but I thought it's okay because the chancellor is gonna put his arm around me, so all will be fine. And then, then you know, you bit by bit find out that I'm one of the 3 million people that didn't qualify for anything. And you think, okay, oh, that's, that's not much of an arm around the shoulder, is it? No. Thank you there. And I was able to apply for a discretionary grant from Birmingham City Council, my local authority and actually got some support from the council and and the way it was managed and communicated and handled was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, and I really benefited from that, you know, and then work came back, didn't it? So touch wood, that'll carry on. But so, yeah, for me, zero support from central government and actually feeling quite bitter about it Mm -hmm. um, through to local government. And this happened at authorities all over the UK, did a fantastic job to support small businesses and, Keep people afloat and stop some businesses from disappearing. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I agree totally. And there was that thing, wasn't there? During you can break the lockdowns into kind of part one, part two, and part three. Can't you? Part one was kind of you know the clapping on the doorsteps Thursday nights and bin crews at councils were being applauded for coming and doing doing that that important job, you know, to take a refuse away each week, you know, and and risking their own health and well being. Sat, you know, in confined spaces with with colleagues to do that important job and you know messages of support being left on bin lids by local residents to thank them that's never been seen before and and it's not there now either by the way people forget things quickly don't they but i think you're right it it showed that local services whether it's you know um, local councils in that instance they provide vital services and it's 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 really really important that that press officer that we talked about with the list of 50 things to do is telling the story about all the brilliant things a local authority does. And a big one's going to be running 800 plus services. Some exactly.
0: Or, yeah. you know, or working with um, new types of suppliers Absolutely. To, make, to make sure that you're... Yeah. Um, the services that you want uh, continue so um, I don't normally do this but it's such a great segue Um, our next podcast that we're recording on Monday is with an organization called BEAM have you if if you've not heard of BEAM um, I'm just um, I just wanted to highlight it because BEAM is a um, an organization that helps um, that helps homelessness um, helps um, empower people to leave homelessness and um, it's done um through providing um direct crowdfunding to um to um, people experiencing homelessness directly but also you can um, work with they work with local councils directly to help specific people experiencing homelessness so we're interviewing beam alongside Leicestershire city council um, next week to talk about the work they're doing together But projects like that where the the community aspect of um, working with people within this, the borough who want to end homelessness, people who are experiencing homelessness, and the local council to, to sort of democratise how they're helped. Yes. You know, that kind of thing is so positive, and for local, for local government, um, I can see how it would be a very attractive media proposition
1: yeah absolutely talk
0: about because that is just simple tech simple crowdfunding helping people directly but not putting the money directly into their hands yes until and so um i feel like those kind of things are really going to help uh put our two needs together as 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 PR people you know our needs to support our clients and the uh, the need of um, somebody in the, the the local comms press office to support their objectives. So, let, if you don't mind, can I just sort of talk about uh, objectives and the GCS comms plan, which came out very recently, the new one? Tell me how that would trickle down. How how would how would the GCS comms plan reach you as a the um, a PR director, um, or a comms director, or or a press officer? Yeah. The civil it, service.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it will depend if, if you're in the civil service. So, if you're in, I don't know, Department for Health and Department for Education, um, you know, the, the GIST Government Communication Services comms plan will be the holy grail. It will be fully embedded. It will be led from the front from Alex Aiken, Director of Comms and the Cabinet Office. And it will be. Um, it will be embedded fully across all parts of of the civil service.
0: So Um, if you're doing, if you're, if you're putting a campaign together and you're looking strategically, would you have to tie it back to that comms plans objectives? Would you have to tie your KPIs back to moving the needle on those, those pillars?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, in, in, in a nutshell, but I think also, I mean, obviously each department will have their own slant on, on, on those kind of big corporate priorities, but in terms of then the the kind of the approach, so everybody will there will use the OASIS comms planning model. Yeah. So, you know, the GCS have got their own evaluation framework with you know, eight golden rules of how to evaluate your comms.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: very consistently done. Um, so yeah, when you get outside of kind of you know Whitehall civil service departments, if you're talking about NHS departments or um, local governments you know, blue light services, it won't trickle down in that way. People will be aware of it, but there's no mandate to kind of follow it, to to kind of use those same approaches. I mean, there are many NHS teams and, you know, local government teams that use OASIS as a planning model as well. Yeah, There's lots that don't as well. So it's, 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 once you get out of the centre, once you get out of central government comms, the approaches are then, they can be quite bespoke by organisation. So, yeah. yeah, and that's not to say that the approaches aren't also good elsewhere because they are. Some of them are brilliant. Some of them, are, I would say, you know, can be better because they're really flexible. They are really fleet of thought. They can adapt to, you know, COVID come in and then Ukraine crisis and then you know, cost of living crisis. You know, it's, you can have the best constructs in the world, can't you? You've got to be flexible to adapt to continually changing landscape. That changes yeah. on a weekly, daily basis. for constantly. there is no
0: more. There is no more continually changing landscape than yeah, than yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Than
0: public sector comms, I don't think. So um, I know you do a lot of mentoring. What lessons have you learned in the last? Um, well, I mean, we've talked about the pandemic a fair bit, so I'm, I'm I'm less bothered about sort of pandemic mentoring lessons. But what what would you say have been the main things that you would have taken away from mentoring? Um, public sector communications
1: people yeah it's a great question I think I mean I've been doing it for 10 years now so I've mentored I've mentored about 30 people in that time excellent I've stayed friends with lots of them as well so it's um you know the kind of relationships carried on I mean it's a two-way thing I learned from all of them I mean I remember being asked to go and mentor first person I ever got asked to go and mentor and it was someone that was involved in in a I won't go into the detail of it, but a big crisis up in the north of England a long time ago, and I, you know, I was, will you go and you know provide some support for for the comms manager? To be honest, he'd already done the job. He he got it completely covered. He'd done a fantastic job. There was nothing I could offer in terms of mm-hmm. comms support. He'd done he'd done a better job than I could have done. To be perfectly honest, it was more about then the uh, kind of. The, the support outside of work, the mental health and well-being. And I think that's where I got really interested in. Most people can write a decent comms plan or a campaign plan and deliver it if they've got the time and the resource. But I think with the pressures of public sector comms these days, there's too much being asked of people and too much being asked of teams. And so for me, mental health and well-being has come out as a recurring theme. And so in the past sort of six months, I've actually been asked to do some mentoring of whole teams Okay. We were both in local government, and what was really nice, so we've had, with one council, just to use that as an example, we've had, we've had a series of five workshops with the entire team, and when we talked about, well, what would that look like? Because it can be tailored towards an individual team, obviously, to what they need and you know, equally what they don't need. I was really keen to say, well, look, given what we've just gone through the past 18 months, mental health and wellbeing will come out loud and clear, I, I yeah. would expect. And actually we did that as the first workshop we said okay we're down tools we're going to have three hours talking about mental health and well-being and to be honest there were some tears in the room there were some people that were you know um what was the stat before that you know something like one in four communications people were struggling with stress or mental health issues before covid Mm -hmm. that's just been multiplied by however many times hasn't it so in yeah. any team, there will be somebody right now uh, struggling with their mental health and well-being. So I was really pleased that the head of comms there said, yeah, let's do that first. Because the other stuff's quite straightforward, you know, how to write a comms strategy, how to create a narrative and tell your own story, how to how to supercharge your social media, how to create a podcast. That's actually all fairly
0: straight. And now creating a podcast, that's really hard, Darren. That actually is really, that's the hardest that's thing. the I've hardest game in the world. <laughs> 20 years, man and boy. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> um, absolutely. So I was just so pleased that we did mental health and well-being first because there are some quite broken teams out there that they're just about getting through because what happened was, and not to labour the point with COVID, but being in that kind of crisis mode for so long, and then hopefully now we're in a we're in a much better place it hasn't gone away clearly but now it's can you do everything that you didn't do before and the demands now are just as big but they're multiple and they come from all different directions so going back to that fictional press officer sat in a council they're absolutely deluged and if the organization isn't well prioritized itself I think often the comms team represents the organization and how well organized it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some, the priorities need prioritizing against another cliche, isn't it? But all of that comes back into the mental health and wellbeing of a team because you've got people still pulling 12 hour days. And
0: it's, I just it's think not that
1: sustainable.
0: I think that we're all so much more aware of each other's um it's in communications it's definitely created a whole new set of empathy you know I won't talk about my incredible team now but um you know we have a very honest and open relationship with each other and always have done about our mental health I've had my my own problems um and but you know we are all so much more aware of the work we're pushing onto other people's plates when we're doing it why we do it when we do it how we do it you know commu- you, we work in communications we should be able to communicate with each other much better now it's coming up to our allotted time I have one more question to ask you it's the question that we ask everybody <laughs> you somewhat strangely find yourself in an uber with uh, Sajid Javid <laughs> for 10 minutes how do ten, you feel ten minutes how do you fill that awkward silence? I assume the ten-minute journey would probably be maybe from Parliament to Waterloo or something like that. You know, maybe you've decided to hop in together to save, you know, time and money. If you had ten minutes with with him, what would you talk about?
1: That's such a good question. So You didn't prepare prepare me for that one, did you? No, I'm
0: sorry, I completely forgot well, that on my list.
1: He's the MP for Bromsgrove, which isn't a million miles from Birmingham. So. Really? So yeah,
0: that's a good fact. I didn't know. So
1: it, it, it would depend what mood I was in. If I was in a really good mood, um, we could just chat about, oh, I live not far from you, don't I? You know what? How, how are things in Bromsgrove? Da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah, we could talk about, you know, um, we could small talk about some local area type stuff. You could. Um probably see if i was like james o'brien just because he's one of my heroes if i if, if i put myself into james o'brien mode for those 10 minutes i'd like to ask you how how does it feel when the prime minister talks about something and he answers something in a way that you don't find credible i'm being quite kind now aren't I? can i use the word lie Because I think we can say that the Prime Minister has officially lied. That's quite true.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, If the Prime Minister's told a porky and then he sends his ministers out the next morning to go into bat for him to kind of back up that porky, Mm -hmm. and then six hours later it's retracted by number 10. I mean, this has happened countless times. um, It's not fictional. It's happened. How does that feel as not even a cabinet member, but as your own credibility is that, you know, he's a smart guy, you know, he's worked down in Canary Wharf, he's independently, um, you know, wealthy, I I would imagine, you know, he's, he's intelligent, you know, he's, he's got his own morals because, you know, he, he, he called stuff out when he was in the leadership election that Johnson eventually won, didn't he? So he's got something about him, but he was one of the ones that went into the bat and defended the prime minister over party goat, for example. How does that feel when six months six, sorry six hours later number ten it, and you're left to look like an absolute wallah?
0: That. I'd love to ask. asking him how he would feel it's, it's such an immense sidestep using the bridging technique isn't it yeah. it's, it's not a policy it's not a policy one cancer it's a yeah. it, you know you he'd have, have to talk about how he felt about something else to even yeah. even get close to a sidestepping the question listen thank you it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you um i will uh endeavor to be the driver of that uber one day <laughs> so i can just so i can uh, uh eavesdrop on the conversation and um darren thank you so much for joining us on tech to transform it's been brilliant
1: it's been brilliant thanks so much for the invite and i'm really worried now about the next uber
0: i get in Well, yeah, it it would be a surprise to both of us if I was the driver.
1: (laughs) I'm less worried about that. It's it's having a government minister in the back with me. That's the concern.
0: (laughs) Well, if James Corden hadn't already done carpool karaoke, (laughs) it would probably be an excellent show. Maybe something to ask James O'Brien if he's prepared to do.
1: This is what you need to do. Do the next podcast in the back of an Uber.
0: Be an expensive Uber though, the way I waffle on.
1: Yeah, yeah, sign actually, sign. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could just drive
0: around up. picking other people up to split the fare. That's it. Yeah. Right. Okay, you're on. All right, well, <laughs> thanks, Darren. Right to chat. All right. Bye. Soon. Bye, bye, now